Okay, we're going to look at, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm trying to not upset the mic very much here, but. I have something in my pocket. It's not a ring. Hallelujah. This wasn't it. <laughs> Glory to God. <clears throat> there were so many things said this morning and prophetically and interpreting interpretation of tongues and um that can be kind of critical sometimes of, of uh, different things, but I usually make my adjustment. But I was thinking of that song that says the river comes out of the ground, and I was thinking, that's not where it comes from. <laughs> uh, the rest of the song is great. But I, didn't, I was thinking, no, it doesn't come out of the ground. It comes out of here. I have a river of life. You have a river of life flowing out of you. And I thought, that's where that river comes from. And uh, that originally comes from the Lord, uh, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is one of the uh, personage of the Godhead. Uh, he is a person He's not a dove. He's not a dove. Uh, he comes down like a dove, but he's a person. And, you know, we're coming up on uh, Pentecost Sunday, which is uh, a, one of my favorites. Um, and that's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles and the disciples and the children, the members of the church, 50 days after the resurrection. And the reason it comes 50 days after the resurrection, it came on a Sunday. Uh, it's actually called the week of weeks because it comes a week in the Scriptures didn't always refer to seven days. It just meant seven. Sabbat, or uh, like our Sabbath, Sabaoth. Uh, and it, it's, a, it, it's also one of the words in the, in the ancient Hebrew for covenant. And so we know that all the promises of God in Christ or yes, and all the covenants and all the festivals. You know what the difference between uh, traditions that mean something and dead traditions? Dead traditions is when you just do it as a formality and you even forget what it's for, why you're doing it. And uh, so I see that there were so many things that were happening. You actually, if you were here Sunday night, I preached on tithing. 
And tithing is far more than just giving 10% of your salary in the offering. Tithing is way more than that. Tithing predated the law. The law was only put in and in, uh, installed tithing into it because of, uh, of the principle that uh, goes throughout the tithing. The violation, the, the first sin of God, the uh, first sin of man. Ooh, forgive that slip, that mistake. Um, the first sin of man was a violation of the tithe. Because what the tithe is, the basic principle of it is, is God says, the first fruits belong to me. You can't touch it. Now we do, but when we touch it, when we don't give the first fruits, then there's a consequence involved. And it, it, uh, the consequence is, or should I say, the lack of a blessing is involved. The blessing is, is if the first fruits are holy, which means given to the Lord, then the whole lump is holy. And that's what it says in Leviticus about the tithing. Well, what happened was, is God put man in the garden, says you can have everything. It's all under you, except that tree over there. Don't touch it. And uh, if you want to get into a little discussion about whether he actually meant don't touch it when he didn't say that but but uh, Eve said that, that he said that I believe he said it to Eve alright, and he says that's mine, don't touch it, if you don't touch that, if you don't taste, take of that fruit the rest of the garden is holy to you the rest of the garden is sanctified to be a blessing to you. If you touch that, then the rest of the garden garden will have a curse on it. And that was the principle of the first sin. It was also a violation of what Cain, the firstborn, brought before the Lord as an offering. It doesn't it wasn't supposed to be a blood offering. It was supposed to be a gift to the Lord, an offering to the Lord. Blood offerings fall into the same category. But that word in the Hebrew was used more often when it was a gift offering to the Lord and not particularly a blood offering. Abel brought a lamb and it says the firstling. It was the first fruit. The violation that Cain participated in was not that it was not a blood offering, but that it was not a gift. It was not the first fruits. It was something. He gave something to the Lord. And uh, I was just talking to them uh, Sunday night, and I was calculating how many sermons, and that this was just a guesstimation. But I think I've preached in the last 42 years, uh, well over 2,000 sermons. I only preached on tithing about four or five times. And not all of those four, five times or where it was here. <laughs> I like to preach on it at other places because I always feel like people are thinking I'm after their money. I love a line in Keith Green's song which says, uh, To obey is better than sacrifice. 
and is taken from the scripture in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. And that was what Samuel said to Saul. In this song by Keith Green, it says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And that's one of those lines. And it's like, I don't care anything about your money. I want you. And that's what Paul said to the, to the ch- uh, church at Corinth. He says, I seek not yours, but you. Uh, but I also have to preach the truth. And I, one of my walls that I have to leap over, crush through, is that when I was growing up, the once a year that we went to church, it always seemed on a day, even if it was Easter Sunday, that the pastor preached on tithing. And my father used to go out, who wasn't a believer at the time, but he went for, his, for my mother's sake, said, all they want is your money. And so that just, that, I, I, I have this fear that people are going to think that when I preach about it. Um, your money. God takes, God takes care of all my needs according to his riches and glory, not according to your giving. And I believe that when I was making a salary of $75 a week when I first came here. So I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't want your money. But I do want you to understand what it is when you tithe. What you're giving is the first fruits. The first fruits was so important in the Jewish tradition that the law of God made a festival out of just giving, uh, just out of tithing. That the first fruits were given the day after it started on the day, the last day of the Passover, which is the last day of the Passover is the day, the first day of the Passover is when Jesus was crucified. The last day of the Passover is when he was raised from the dead. And so the Passover was another principle in God's word uh, and another law that they celebrated because they were celebrating the angel of death passing over them in Egypt and they continually used that to remind them of what God did for them and all of the things that God did in Egypt were symbolic of what Christ did because the end of the Passover is where he was raised from the dead and that day was the beginning was the celebration of the first fruits because you see, Jesus was the first fruit from the dead, the firstborn from the dead. Read Colossians 1. It talks about he was the firstborn from the dead. And if you remember, when he had been raised from the dead, the resurrected Sunday, Mary saw him and she went up to touch him and he says, don't touch me. The reason for why he says, I have not yet ascended to my father. Because he was the tithe offering to God. He was the first fruits. If that doesn't give you chill bumps, then I'll loan you some of mine. Because I got them rushing all down my 
spine right now. He was the firstborn from the dead. And you know who the lump is? (laughs) Me. We are the lump. If the first fruits was holy to the Lord, the whole lump is holy. The whole lover is sanctified by God. And so that's the principle of the tithe. And Malachi says, bring all you, will a man rob God? Bring on your tithe. How have we, they say, how have we robbed God? <laughs> I was in Mexico and the, the youth pastor, that's the, the one, Javier Rio was his name, Javier. And the youth pastor, uh, funny guy, he was one of the best sense of humor, went way beyond my line, you know. Uh, he, he was funny. I can't even tell you some of the jokes, some of the things he, not that they were crude or vulgar, but they were uh, uh, challenging. And so uh, he was funny. And um, he was also Abraham Frosco, who was the apostle of overseeing 50 churches in Mexico. He was his son-in-law. He is now the pastor of a church that when I was there was about 500 strong. And now it's in the thousands, well over 1,000, 2,000. And uh, Javier uh, was, was a cool guy. He, he, when he took Frank McCracken and I to the airport, he carried all of both Frank's and my luggage. And I couldn't stop him. I, I, I thought his arms were so full and he would carry them all to the luggage place. And so I kept saying, Javier, uh, let me have some of those. And he would say, I tithe. And I'm like, what? You never know with him why he says stuff sometimes, you know. And so I'd say it again. And after the third time, I tithe. I said, what does that have to do with me wanting to carry my... He says, I'm not going to steal your luggage. And I said, what? He says, well, I don't rob God. I tithe. So I don't steal. And I say that, you know, because if you're one of those that have said this, I apologize or not. (laughs) <laughs> but it was very simple. You know, what a person said once, uh, we are working towards tithing. And I was like, what? I didn't say that. I went, oh, that's nice. But I want to tell you, if you, could, if you could read my mind, girl, what a tale my thoughts would tell. Just like an old time movie. About a ghost from a wishing well. No, anyway, I was like, you're working towards not stealing from God. That would be like my wife and I have needs, so we rob a bank occasionally, but we're working towards not robbing the bank. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm sure glad of that. Once in a while we mug people on the side. But we're working towards not doing that. I'm like, that's what that sounds like to me. It's like, I mean, I guess being coming from a Baptist background, 
There was never a thought in my mind ever to not tithe. And I want to tell you something. Nobody checks my, except maybe our treasurer, nobody knows whether I tithe or not. I don't have to tithe. I do it because of what I'm telling you. I just wasn't supposed to be a sermon about tithing, but hey. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I don't get it. I, I just, it's like tithing is something that you just have to do. And you know, and then when I learned the principles of it, it's like I would never, because every time I tithe, I proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I proclaim that the whole lump is holy, which I am a part of, the body of Christ, because the head was holy and sanctified to God. And that's what you do when you put a tithe in the tithe offering, the first fruit. Cain was something. Abel's was the first fruit. You know, and that's very important about tithing. Well, they celebrate that, the celebration of the first fruits. And you know, uh, people will say, well, pastor, you just told us you tithe. And Jesus says, you know, give to thy father, which is in secret. Uh-uh. He says, give alms, you know, give to the poor. Tithing was not done in secret. They used to wave it when they, uh, they waved a, uh, 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 what do you call those wheat wheat sheaves sheaves they waved sheaves of wheat when they would come in symbolic of them tithing first fruits and the 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 then they would give them to the priest and the priest would wave them and then the priest would take those sheaves that were waved and make loaves of bread and they would make uh, some uh, two loaves of bread, of uh, twelve loaves of bread, which represented the twelve tribes. Then they would make two loaves of bread, which represent. And they didn't even know why they did that, but it represented Israel and the church, because that bread, that leavened bread, uh, unleavened bread, or it was leavened bread, was baked in the furnace of the earth. And they believed that it had uh, leaven in it, uh, that it was cooked in the furnace of the earth and burned uh, the leaven out. Okay, burned, it was, the sin was burned out of it. And that represented the church. They didn't know that at the time, it was two loaves. One was Israel, one was the church. And that's what most theologians believe the two loaves represented. And those two loaves were made from the sheaves that were brought in at the first fruit, and they were made, and they were partook of, they partook of it fifty days after the first day after the first after the resurrection day. The resurrection day, the festival of the first fruit, and forty nine days later. Seven sevens was the day, the Pentecost Sunday, the day the Holy Spirit came upon the body of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit, who was, it was, uh, that happened just as when Jesus was baptized 
for ministry, the Holy Spirit came down on him. If Jesus needs the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. Hello? And we get filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit 49 days later on the festival of Pentecost. That's where Pentecost comes in, 50 days. And Pentecost Sunday is when the Holy Spirit came. I don't know. Just put up 2 Corinthians and we'll make it short. I have to lead into this because of time. But Paul is talking about something that happened when Moses came back from being with God. And when he came back from being with God, he had such a light on him, shining on him, that the people could not stand to look at him. When, you know, one, one theory, when Michelangelo made Moses holding the Ten Commandments, he put horns on his head. Now, I've heard different reasons for that, but one of them is he was trying to represent, he was trying to show that Moses, they couldn't stand to look, they couldn't, Stand to look at him because the light was so bright. So you know what they did? Like the unknown comic, they put a lid over it. They put a bag over his head to shield him from this wonderful light, this awesome light that didn't seem awesome to them because it was they were gonna it was killing him, you know. So they put a bag over his head, and this is where uh, Paul is taking off that bag over his head was called like a veil over his face. You know, we're going to talk about looking at the glory of God. A a tradition that nearly everybody does not know. In a wedding, when you take the veil off of the bride, that veil represented a veil that's covering the glory of God. And when you take that veil off, the husband sees the glory of God. How many of you knew that? Well, that's what it's supposed to be. Seeing then that we have such hope. He's talking about the hope of that veil being removed. So we could see the glory of God. We had a word about the glory of God today, I believe. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. They were blinded by the light. By what was the light? The glory of God. And it was just a transfer of Moses being transformed by just being near God. And if you remember, he wanted to see God's face. And God says, no, if I showed you a face, you'd be gone. It was to be too much for you. I'll just show you my backside. So we're going to get back to that face in a minute. We had a whole lot about the face of God. But their minds were blinded until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. You know what that means? That when the Jews... And when people, I always wondered, especially about the book of Isaiah, how in the world a Jewish person could read 
Isaiah 53 and not see the, res- the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know? It's like, how could they not see this? Well, there's a veil over their face. Because that veil is preventing them from seeing the glory of God. God's glory, the beauty of his holiness. God is beautiful and it's his glory. In the Old Testament, it was like a heavy weight. It was like God weighs more than anybody. Hallelujah. Remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ? You remember when Jesus was crucified? Uh, that veil uh, that was kept you from the holy of holies in the temple was split from top to bottom. It came down from heaven and it was rent from top to bottom. And in that, I'm telling you, that in, when they made that to pattern, uh, I don't know about in the temple, but in the tabernacle of Moses, that veil was like hundreds, thousands of pounds and it was so heavy and large that for that to be split from top to bottom. And it's ironic that those priests would have to, before that veil, do the ceremony of the first fruits. Because that veil was split from top to bottom. Which veil is done away in Christ? What veil? The veil that kept you from the glory of God. All right. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. People still can't see the glory of God. They can't see the beauty of God in the Old Testament. They, they can't do it. Next verse. Nevertheless, when it or when you shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away in Christ when Christ was raised, that veil being split from top to bottom was just symbolic of something else that was much greater. And the greater was, is that there is a, there has to remain a veil between you and God. Because if that veil is taken away, you are, your goose is cooked, except for one thing. The glory of God was converted into something that you could see. The glory of God, according to John 1, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we can look into, it says, nevertheless, when you turn to the Lord, when you, when you see the Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you see him, that veil shall be taken away. When you read the Old Testament, that veil shall be taken away. And if you turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Next verse. Now the Lord is that spirit. What spirit? The spirit that takes the veil away. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty where that veil is taken away. Next verse. But we all, all of us, say all. But we all with an open face. Open face. The veil is taken away. The marriage veil has been taken off. You know. So we, the, the wife, can see the, her husband, the glory of God. And so it, it works both ways. And so he says, that veil, he says, when we with an open face 
as in a glass. Uh, in James, the glass is called what? Mirror, which is called what? The Word of God. That glass is called the Word of God. When you see the, in the Word of God the glory of the Lord. When you, with an unveiled face, which is taken away in the resurrection, see the beauty and the glory of God, you are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. So we had talking about glory earlier and the glory being poured out on us. But we are changed. And that word changed is, a, is, a, is the same word that is used when it says in Romans. The, matter of fact, let's just turn to that. Romans 28. Romans 8. You need the chapter 2? <laughs> well, if you were in the spirit, I wouldn't have to tell you that. Rakesh. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I have a different in, difference of opinion about what all things means there. I do believe it's okay, I do believe that if you see that everything on the face of the earth is working together for your good, it's okay with me. And you might be right. I don't see it that way. I don't see bad things. Work, that, let, let me. Phrase this correctly. I don't see that God causes anything bad to happen for your good. I do believe I, 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 every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let no man say when he's tempted. I'm tested of God. God does not test us with evil. And it's not just to do evil, but with evil. Okay, now, what it, but I do believe that all the bad things that happen on this earth, God can work it for our good. And I see a difference, all right? And I see that if you don't read the Old Testament through the face of Jesus Christ, through the image of Christ, you might even disagree with me more. But that's okay if you do. If you think God, in his sovereignty, causes everything to happen, and it's for your good. That's okay, all right? I just think, what what do I think is working together for our good? Well, I'll, I'll show you. It says, we know that all things work together for our good. To them that love God... And to them that are called according to his purpose. Whether you love God or not, that's up to you. But you, and whether you know you are called or not, that's up to you to open your eyes to see. God calls you. Next verse. For whom he did foreknow. That word foreknow is, an, is a good word. It's a Greek word which we get an English word from. If you are in the medical field... This word is uh, basically prognosis. Prognosis is when you get, uh, a doctor says, 
I think what's wrong with you based upon what I'm seeing is I foreknow, I, because of all of my knowledge and everything, I know, I think, I predict this is wrong with you. This is, it's called a prognosis. That word prognosis only though in God's case is he knows. He knew you. And in other places it says well, when he knew you. He foreknew you before what? Before you got saved? Yeah. Before you were born? Yes. Before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before the world was even born. For the world began, God knew you. He foreknew you. He, them he foreknew, them he also, also predestinate to be conformed to the image of of his son. That word conform is the same word in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, which says, we with an unveiled face behold the glory of God are changed into the same image. So from glory to glory, you are changed. That word change, same word, and it's the Greek word uh, metamorpho. We get our word, when, when in, in Philippians 2, when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, uh, who, though he was in the form of God, uh, and he goes on to say other things, but he says, Though Christ was in the form of God, that word form is the root word for being changed here. And in his case, it's metamorphous. Morphous is the word. Morphous. And you get our word, you know, where a butterfly, a caterpillar changed into a butterfly. Jesus was already changed that though he was in the form of God, he, which means literally he was God. Though he was in the form of God, did not grasp to be equal with God, but emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. And so this is that same word where we are conformed. It's like God working this metamorphosis in us to changes into his glory and it goes from glory to glory but that has been predestined we have been predestinated uh, to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be the firstborn that he might be that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and he goes on and on and on well let's just read a little bit more for whom he did Excuse me. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and them he called, them he justified, and them he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then it goes on, he that, you know, crucified it not his own son goes on and says what shall separate us from the love of God 
Can life or death or angels or principalities or powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature. Nothing can separate us from his love. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Let's go to someplace new. Romans, the 12th chapter. I'm going to go into the second verse. Second verse. Same as the first. I said go into it. I didn't say start there. Romans 12.1. <laughs> Can't get by with that. I beg you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. We've talked about that a while. Next verse. Be not conformed. This is interesting. Because this is a be not conformed. This is a totally different word. And I have to look at this word. This word is cis-chematic tizo. Cam-tizo. Cam-tizo. And it means means something altogether different. It means to fashion oneself. It says, be not conformed. And I love this. That word be is the same word as conformed. And you know what it has to say? Be not be. <laughs> you know, in other words, what, you know, I was thinking of this and trying to think, what, what can I use as an illustration to paint this picture? And I thought to myself, was it in uh, ha- Hamlet? That he says to be or not to be. Is that right? Have I got the right play? To be or not to be. You know, uh, when I was growing up and I heard that said to be or not to be, I had no idea what he was talking about. Really? I was like, what in the world is he talking about? To be or not to be. To be what and not to be what? And it was to be or not to be. To exist, to be, or to not exist. To be, exist, or to end my existence by committing suicide. That's what he, of course, all of you knew that, and we all know that. To be, to say, am I going to live or am, am I going to kill myself? So being, state of being, is a state of existing. And he says, exist not to exist according to the world. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Don't live, don't be in this world according to the world. We are living in the world, Christ said, but we are not of the world. And he tells us what not to be. But what's more interesting is the word that is not used. It is not the word with a morpho, morpho in it. But it goes on to say, to this world, but be transformed. Now there we have another form word, and that is a word. And transform means simorpho, simorpho. Very, very similar, almost uh, identical to uh, conform or to, to metamorpho, uh, 
but this is simorphu. Simorphu. But it's all in that first word that weren't formed to be formed. Or you know, how it, what's the best way to describe to be formed? It's like with hands that are put on a lump of clay and they form it into. The other one is you are voluntarily submitting your hands to the world to fix you. <laughs> Part of that word that's in um, meta, uh, so let's see what, siskemtidzo. Why is that tidzo in there? Why is that important? Siskem tidzo. Tidzo is part of a word that is, means to mend. But this isn't to mend according to what is broken. It is to mend you according to what it wants you to be. And it's bad. The world wants you to be something. And they're paying trillions of dollars in advertising to get you to be. I, I find that also interesting that one of the words is to fashion or to not to fashion. It says, be not conformed to this world. Be not fashioned, but be informed is when God puts his hands on you and he starts spinning that wheel. And he says, and there's several verses that says, you are the potter. And I am the clay. You are the potter. And I be transformed. By what? See, we got a part in that. Renewing of your mind. You have to have your mind renewed. And the only way to renew your mind is, we, with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the word of God, are changed, metamorphosis into the same thing, transformed, conformed, changed into the same image from glory to glory to glory. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. That was interesting. Was that like a timer? To be or not to be? That's the question. Hallelujah. When we present our bodies a living sacrifice, you know, uh, the Eastern way of communication, which reminds me of something, I got to say this real quick. Did our Marine leave? Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's just as well. Because one time somebody told me a joke about the military and being in the Navy. But this is one joke. Here he comes. This is one joke before he gets in here. Marines like. Okay. And I think I may have shared this once before, but I don't remember sharing it in here. I always shared it at the VA, and they all like it. But anyway, in the military, one of the biggest problems is communication. See, the branches of the military do not communicate with one another very well. So what they have here is like, for example, uh, seal the building. Is that right? (laughs) Seal the building. Uh, Seal the building to 
The army means put guards at the entrance and the exit. To the Navy, it means turn out the lights and lock the doors. To the Air Force, it means take out a mortgage to, uh, for a six-year mortgage with an option to buy. Or, and to the Marine Corps, it means kill everybody inside and make it a command post. <laughs> now, I have told that joke to at least 20 or 30 uh, military people, and everybody liked it, especially the Marines. <laughs> Marines said, yeah, let God sort them out. <laughs> when we come to God, we worship Him and praise Him, and we are tr- using worship and praise to communicate to Him that we love Him. When you value something, you love it. If you have something at home that you love, it, it's a keepsake and you want to keep that, you value it. That's what worship is, is valuing God. When we praise Him and thank Him, now you can worship God out of fear. You can praise Him out of fear. And we are, there is something that to, to, to God. God is a you know, fearful God and uh, we need to respect Him that He is God. But when we worship Him and you go into His presence, His holy presence, to praise and worship Him, you are valuing Him. And you're trying to use words. Now, I kind of cut through all of the, the praise and worship when I'm in my personal life with God. And I just go in and just start saying, I love you. I love you, God. I just love you so much. And one of the things, though, in telling God that I love you says, the, the verse of Scripture says, The Lord said to me, Seek ye my face. Your face, Lord, shall I seek. Psalm 27. And so, you know, we used to sing this. The Lord said to me, seek ye my face. Your face, Lord, shall I seek. Now that has so many symbolic meanings. But it also means that I want to be in your presence. And I want to worship you. And I seek your face, O Lord, to, to, to tell you how long how much that I love you, you know, to say that I love you uh, and to worship you. So I have a habit of kind of taking songs and then singing them to the Lord, you know, that I already know. Secular Psalms. Um, The Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley, took some bar songs and made hymns out of them. Well, I take some worldly songs and make hymns out of them. And I was, one came in my mind and uh, the other day and I called Rick and I said, what's the words to this song? And uh, he told me. And then it was only the first line. And um, then, uh, then he hands me this printed out version today. Now this is just trying to find words to say how much I love you. And it's probably got some words in here that you could get upset about if you're a religious fanatic that is um, legalistic. (laughs) Like I used to be. Like I can be. Okay. 
this is called Mission Bell. It was in the 50s, okay? My love is higher than a mission bell, deeper than a wishing well, stronger than a magic spell, my love for you. I know the objections to a couple of those words. Wider than the widest sea, longer than a memory, sweeter than a honey tree, my love for you, my love for you. Give me your heart of gold, your heavenly magic touch, to cherish, have, and hold. I need your love so much. (coughs) Excuse me. Mm, Sorry. Say that you love me. Say those pretty words. And I will give you my love to you. My love is warmer than a day in spring. Obviously, he was not from around here. I think uh, it says Gene Pitney was, that's not the ones I remember doing it, but Gene Pitney probably even wrote it. Uh, Warmer than a day in spring, brighter than a diamond ring, greater than any mighty thing, my love for you. It's taller than the tallest tree, softer than a summer breeze. Oh, I ask you please, to give your love, your love, sweet love to me. Isn't that beautiful? And in case you wondered about the tune of it, how many of you remember that song? Oh, wow, more than I would think. My love is higher than a mission bell, deeper than a wishing well, stronger than a magic spell, my love for you. My love is wider than the widest sea, longer than a memory, sweeter than a honey tree. My love for you. And that goes on. And and Gene Pitney wrote that song. Some of you remember Gene Pitney. I I believe he wrote it because I find so many songs that he did, other people did, and wrote it. It just trying to find words to say how much I want to, I want words. I want to find more words because it, it, it requires effort on my part to try to say how great your love is for me. Because God took some effort to say how great his love is for us. Amen. We are commanded to love the Lord our God. I saw this. I don't know why I never, I've never seen this before, but I saw this on the show. And it says, uh, we are loved to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And uh, it's because Jesus, God loved us with all his heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you boldly because we have a high priest. 
that intercedes on our behalf. Jesus. We have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. We are not coming to you boldly because we are so righteous in ourselves. We are coming to you boldly because Jesus has made us your righteousness. We are coming to you boldly because we have a high priest touched with the feelings of our infirmity that we may find help and grace, grace to help and mercy in time of need. But we also come to you by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We come to you because we have access before you by the Holy Spirit. We come to you because we have been purged like silver purged in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. So is your word. And we've been washed by that word. Though our garments were scarlet with sin, the blood of Jesus Christ washed us clean. And we now have garments of holiness. You gave us beauty for holy, for, for, for sin, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise. So we come to you with thanksgiving and praise in our heart, and we worship you, Lord. We acknowledge you. We confess you. We confess our faults and our sins before you. You said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, let not our flesh glory in your presence, but let our spirits rise as sweetest incense. Come before you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. Jesus is our Lord. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if there's someone in here has not received Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You've never done it before. We would deem it a wonderful honor if we could pray with you today to do that. Is anyone in here that says, I want to receive Jesus? I want to confess him to be my Lord. Raise your hand, and I will know that you want that, and we will pray with you. Okay, we'll move along. One thing is so important is a child that is becoming a child of God. And we are all children in his eyes. So anytime anybody wants to interrupt the service to say, I want Jesus I want to receive him as my Lord. Please do so. We will gladly stop what we're doing to attend to that very important thing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. As we receive communion today, I hope we are mindful 
that the blood, the body, was the first fruits from the dead. And because we partake of the first, uh, we, the first fruit was sanctified to God, the rest of the lump is holy. And we receive Christ because we are holy in the eyes of God through Jesus. Hallelujah.